0: welcome to sound and vision
1: conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process here's the
2: host of sound and vision brian alfred sound and vision is sponsored by golden artist colors golden artist colors makes the best acrylics Williamsburg oils and core watercolors and you can find them in your local art store or online at goldenpaints.com Sound and Vision is also sponsored by Fulcrum Coffee Roasters Fulcrum makes amazing coffee and you can head over to their website at fulcrumcoffee.com and check out their subscriptions they have an amazing variety that you can choose from and have coffee delivered to your house every month Everything from Light Roast subscription to Espresso to all brands, single origin. They even have a Sunset subscription, a Jazz Alley night subscription. It's a really cool curated coffee experience that can be delivered to your door. And you can get a discount by adding the code ALFREDSTUDIO whenever you check out from the website. Fulcrum Coffee Roasters from Seattle. Check them out. Bridget Mullen is a visual artist who grew up in Minnesota. She received her BAE from Drake University and her MFA from the Massachusetts College of Art. She's been awarded many residencies including Skowhegan, the Fine Arts Work Center, the Jan van Eyck Academy, the Lighthouse Works, the Sharp Walentis Studio Program, and McDowell. Bridget has exhibited in the United States and abroad at Schulam at Nazarian in Los Angeles, Helena Ann Rather in New York, Natalie Karg in New York, Anneke Galink in Amsterdam, Fahrenheit Madrid in Spain, Anne Barold in Paris, and Wild Palms in Dusseldorf, to name a few. She is the 2022 recipient of the Chiro Award from Headland Center for the Arts, and a 2021 recipient of a painting fellowship from the New York Foundation for the Arts. Her reviews of her work can be found in Artforum, Hyperallergic, Juxtapose, and the Brooklyn Rail, and her upcoming projects include a book of her birthday series paintings, a print project with Avant Art, and a solo presentation at the Armory Show in the fall. Bridget lives and works in Brooklyn, New York, and is represented by Shulamit Nazarian in Los Angeles. We talk about burning through ideas, imagination, playing in bands, printmaking, improvising on canvas, and much more. Here's our conversation. Yeah. I, I was uh oh, I'm gonna drink coffee. Is that okay? Yeah,
1: I mean I'm gonna I mean, drink
2: tea. <laughs> have some. All right. I need if the, listen, if I'm not caffeinated, this doesn't fly. It's all moot. No, I know, I <laughs> know. <laughs> so I was talking to a friend on the phone about a half an hour ago about your work.
1: Oh.
0: <laughs> just, Who, was,
2: the... just just talking to a friend. And um I was Describing your work, this is probably the exact wrong way to start this (laughs) off. I was trying to describe your work in words, which is, you know, it's always tricky territory, isn't it? Like trying to verbalize someone's work. How would you do it? That's the Um, worst question to start off. I've never done that before. (laughs) And it's just because I was trying to do it on a phone call like 30 minutes ago. But I'm just curious bear with me well, sorry this will get better
1: <laughs> i know this is fine i it, i actually describe it differently every time i describe it i think anybody would say the same thing i also describe it differently depending on who i'm talking to um and sometimes i mean it, it really depends on who's asking
2: um, okay let's say someone who is very familiar with painting and art you know, you've got a, an educated consumer who, who knows what they're looking at. Then where do you go? Not your, you know, not like grandma or something.
1: Yeah. Um, I love, I prefer to describe my work to grandma, but if I'm describing it to, (laughs) to somebody who I would describe, you know, it's on linen. I use flash. Sometimes I use spray paint. Um, it's, Flash paint is very matte, so there isn't a lot of glare on the surface, and that's important to me. Um, so that the surface is is very like absorbent of light, and uh, and then what I end up making, I usually talk about how I make it. That it's usually it's an abstract painting that I turn into a figurative painting or a painting that has figurative elements, but that is not always the case. Sometimes. I'll make a painting um, that starts from a feeling, a somatic feeling that's somewhere in the body, and then I try to paint that body part full of that feeling. And so, what comes out are sometimes things that end up looking um, uh, repetitive, psychedelic. Someone might, someone might say, "Hey, we hit a word that <laughs> that I touched on." um i didn't know if i was off on that go ahead keep going yeah no that's generally i think what people would say just because that there is also a feeling of of overwhelm or like i try to reach a pitch in the work that's like a tipping point or a point where things feel like they're about to explode or implode or um turn inside out or um, yeah that, that that there's a there's a threshold that's and that doesn't really even describe actually the things that are there and nameable except that right. um yeah there are figures and there are other things that are globbing turning into maybe figures or things that interact with a figure
2: that that all sounds that's good That's you're sort of painting the picture of how these pictures, like the world that they're living in. Now, what got you to this point? (laughs) How does Bridget, growing up, make (laughs) Blood's Bluff? I think it's called.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think it. You know, (laughs) starting and doodling, um, just starting and doodling, and then um, drawing. Uh, it, for myself mostly for for quite a long time and not really sharing you know my work with anybody because there was no platform like um it collage I worked in collage for many years um because I wanted I wanted to like investigate my choices I think and I wanted to work quickly I wanted to see what a color looked like next to another color very quickly I wanted I wanted to like interact with what was already there and manipulate it and that's an easy way you know when you're starting out you don't know what you want to do or how you're going to get to the thing that feels most resonant with you so um I did sculpture for a little while I I didn't go to art school for undergrad but I took a printmaking class and some other classes, uh, some other art classes, but my my printmaking professor, Philip Chen, really encouraged me. And so that was really the, the first person to really encourage my art making. And, and from there, I think it, art making was a very personal thing to me. It was something I would just do and in private for many, yeah. many years. Um and figuring out like what and since no one was looking at it, I felt like I could do whatever I wanted and there, I only had to delight and please myself. So right. uh so I think it just I wanted to see like how weird it could get and not freak myself out. <laughs> like how what could I draw? Like what could I draw? I mean, I could always draw something like the freakiest thing I could think of drawing and just erase it or burn it or i don't know like could an image be just so well, awful that you're like oh she's I... just burning
2: paper out back it's like oh she's doing that again that's weird all right as long as it's okay as long as the house doesn't get you on fire um and this isn't so okay well that was great that you basically that's you you did everything you caught us from zero to 60 all the time. <laughs> but there's more territory here to, de- to delve into i think um the reason i asked that is because You know, in looking at your work, so the way I described, not that you asked, but the way that I described it was kind of like, oh, it's kind of like someone who might have been looking at cartoons or comics or like there's a sensibility of like um, some sort of like representation of forms and a kind of... um, abstract but kind of there feels like there's a little bit of humor to it but it maybe then like a ride on dmt or something or like psychedelics or i don't know like it's it's like kind of trippy and um there's a little bit of dark feel to it there's like something macabre about it but then also humorous and also uh i don't know it, and and it and then like in the very short amount of time that i just talked to you you seem like a very Like, you know, some people wear their work or they look just like their, or they act just like the work acts. And then I'm, I always love when people, their work doesn't fit necessarily what you would, you wouldn't imagine. You know what I mean? Like if you, so I'm curious, like growing up, did you grow up in Minnesota?
1: I did. Yeah. Minnesota and Wisconsin.
2: So was your imagination always that vivid? I guess if you were burning drawings.
1: Um, I probably only burned one drawing. Maybe it was one.
0: No, it sounds <laughs> great. Go market. with it. <laughs> um,
1: okay. Um, well, people always ask about cartoons or comics. And I actually, you know, when I was really little, of course I would, I was very into Sesame Street. Um, and I, like any kid you know I mean still I could still watch it this is really the best show it's such a beautiful show um but I did you know some comics I remember being really little and um like liking the peanuts but it wasn't it wasn't like I found it funny or anything I think I just it was the only thing in the newspaper that was Art and at all <laughs> interesting as a kid, so I was like, I guess I'll cut this out, and then this is this is my takeaway from the world of extending beyond my house. Uh, yeah. But I didn't. At some point, I I think like cartoons or comics. Um, I just was I was never interested in them. I think there wasn't enough reality in it. That's yeah. It just was boring. I thought like I actually hated choose your own adventure books and that kind of thing where. Well, what is it? It's not, it's so it's everything. And that, even though I realize it's kind of exactly what my paintings are, <laughs> they're <laughs> sort of soupy and they're indeterminate in a way. Like I still don't want to, I don't want to live. I, I, I don't want to engage in that kind of um, situation where like the Choose Your Own Adventure book, I would just read all of the, I'd, you'd read every ending. And then gonna be like, okay, well, so no one made any decisions. Um, just, I don't know.
2: So it was frustrating to you,
1: a little bit, yeah, yeah. And I felt that way about comics in some way because it was, it was too fan. There was too much fantasy.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah. No, I get it. You know, a lot of people when I started showing my work in the first, however many years, brought up, you know, a certain kind of painting or like pop culture or you know, flat, like graphic novel stuff. And I was like, yeah, I didn't really, mm-hmm. I didn't really grow up on that stuff or I was never really that into it. I mean, Bugs Bunny was like what I watched as a kid yeah, or Roadrunner. And it was yep. just, honestly, I think it was just because it was on. It wasn't like there was like anime on TV that I could watch. It was Speed Racer. I watched that. Mm-hmm. But basically all this stuff people thought I liked because of the look of what I was making was a lot of that stuff I just wasn't that into. I just gravitated mm-hmm. towards that way of working some other way you know what i mean and a lot of times that work is um kind of like fresher in a way you know or or maybe it's because it's not as dependent on the influences that you would think in looking at it you know so i don't know um you know what you're looking at or like what's what sort of like a lot of people get into certain imagery and that really informs what they're working on. The look of it
0: mm-hmm.
2: and then a lot of people you know look at things totally different from the work and that's really what you know inspires them and mm-hmm. we i think we sometimes assume that there's a visual identity to our influence but sometimes it's conceptual sometimes it's you know the opposite of what we do when and, and what we do is just very intuitive
1: yeah
2: but yeah. i don't. i mean you know i guess your your work maybe this is true or not but it has the feel that drawing is a big part of it you know what i mean the process and you were saying right that sometimes you'll just sort of work and build forms out of that of the painting is that so a lot of it's improv in a way
1: yeah it is i don't do it i'd say 99 percent of the time i don't do any sketching beforehand it's all started on the surface yeah and then it's drawn out on the surface. I mean, it's it, in the in the sense that, like, I let the painting and what I can do in paint, or what I want to do, or what paintbrush I want to hold, I let those things determine what actually ends up being made. Um, right. As much as like, yeah, what what the painting is capable of doing, it feels like it feels like. Um, well, that I don't always trust these like great ideas, <laughs> these clever yeah. ideas to start up. And so I just want to, I know that some ideas get in through as like stowaway ideas. They like, I have another idea that I think this, is, <laughs> this, this might work, but then it's actually the thing behind it or the way it's painted or that makes me abandon everything else and just go with the thing that it actually is working. Right
2: yeah it's it's like a and I imagine you trust the process in a way too, because if you work yeah. that way, you know yeah. um you're you're relying a lot on the discovery and the process, which is mm-hmm. now as a parallel, not to get too tangential, this is one of the you know, not being very succinct or kind of like linear here, but I have no idea what kind of music you might be into if you are into music. what do you think? I know I don't want to guess. I'm done guessing. <laughs> I'm just going to screw it up. Like I don't know it could be, you know, Chopin or uh, Megadeth or Taylor Swift, who knows?
1: Um <laughs> Well, let's see. Yesterday I listened to Kirby Hancock. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yesterday and then I listened to um this band called grandma's cottage which is comfy scent which is like it's like uh it's maybe what you would listen to if you were playing dungeons and dragons and not that i do but it's like it sounds like which is fine if anybody does um it, it, it it's it's like the background music to someone walking through a forest, walking to grandma's house or something. It's right. like yeah. it's it's just sweet uh, and instrumental, completely instrumental and uh, short and really mysterious. I think actually that sounds it's kind nice. Of haunting yeah, and slow and overly sentimental sometimes.
2: Right. i'm
1: I'm not into that over overly sentimental but for some reason it's funny yeah in this context
2: have you ever played minecraft no okay um because there's it's funny because there's people really into the minecraft music which is Uh, it's kind of like a building role-playing building game sort of thing that's pixelated but there's a very specific soundtrack to it that people like but it has it sounds like what you're describing it's kind of melodic. It's soothing. It's quiet. It feels like you're off on a journey or something. Yeah. Well, yeah. even in, in me saying like, well, I have no idea what kind of music you listen to. It could be anything. I love that you said Herbie Hancock because in Herbie's over, I, it could be any, I like, you yeah. could have been listening to him <laughs> yeah. solo piano. It could be his like frog stuff. It could be the eighties. Was mm-hmm. it a specific era of Herbie? And second, second question. Did you read his book?
1: No, I didn't read his book.
2: Oh, it's so good. No, it's really Um, okay. So go ahead.
1: No, it was just, um, it was Headhunter. So so it's like, I guess that's 70s or oh, yeah,
2: 74, I believe. And I'm not, I'm not lying to you. And I don't want to do this on the spot, but look, I opened it just now.
0: Mm -hmm. This morning
2: it was on in our house. Isn't that weird? Yeah, a chameleon. I put chameleon on. Oh, 1973. So I'm yeah. right there. I'm a Herbie Hancock fanatic. Like, I love Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, all aspects. And I could totally see the headhunters, like Ma Vichu, like era, you know, thrust and sextant and that stuff being aligned with like some of the aesthetic sensibilities of your work.
1: Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I listen to that. I mean, I listen to, I also listen to, you know, like, Music with words in it, um, and yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, or more words. Um, but I, it depends. Like what part of the painting I'm working on. If it's stretching the canvases, then I might listen to a podcast. But if it's painting, and it depends on what part of the painting I'm doing, it's either silence or. It, re- it has to be a really specific kind of music because I want to feel like I want to have as much feeling as I can have I, yeah. in some way, like be, be really uh, in, my, in my emotions, I guess. And so not all music can do that. And so sometimes it, I do have to rely on music that I've heard before and I kind of know it will get me there.
2: Yeah, isn't it nice that we have music as a texture that can yeah. kind of amplify that vibe of what you're working on?
1: It's so powerful. It yeah. it it feels like a, a possession, actually. Right.
2: Yeah. yeah. Like you're. Well, kind of what we do is we build these worlds, right? Like we're making these images that you can hopefully get lost in, and then when you're making it and developing those worlds, those images you almost want to, it's nice to be able to put yourself in that feeling of the world that you're trying to build and music can really help you get there in a way.
0: Mm-hmm. They can mm-hmm. take you
2: right out of it too. You know, mm-hmm. like if you pick the wrong stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you totally change yeah. the energy. You know what band mm-hmm. I thought of whenever I looked at your work? Mm-hmm. And I don't, I, you probably don't know this band, but they're from Pittsburgh. They're called uh, Black Moth Super Rainbow. Have you ever heard them? Mm-hmm. Maybe um might be some like I'd, I'd be interested in in your um reaction of listening oh. to them but it's very synthy okay. and like kind of like a little out there it's got words in it but it's like vocoder and stuff and it feels like okay. otherworldly in a way but oh, uh
0: cool.
2: yeah so okay we got that well what was it like growing up what was the the household like what was was there music playing and were you guys going to see art or were your parents creative those are hard shakes of the head no
1: (laughs) it's like what the
0: like are you kidding me
1: okay um so I I think my parents were creative but I think I probably think most people are creative in different ways like my dad was really into sports and my mother was a florist um and then some plein air painting when she was younger but as far as music it was really um you know I have all their old records but it was like the Beatles and just you know very mainstream stuff um and so they listened to really mainstream stuff and there wasn't and in high school I did too like it wasn't until I got to college that I was discovering music through other people um but there wasn't, you know, they encouraged me to a point, but there wasn't there's was a museum in Minneapolis, a couple of museums in Minneapolis, obviously, but we and I always gravitated towards that, but it wasn't something we did um as a family. It was more sports related. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it wasn't until I got to college and then after college where music became a bigger part of my life.
2: Right. Yeah. Um, well, that's very Midwestern. I mean, I grew up in Pittsburgh yeah. and it was sports. I mean, what is there? Just sports. And then...
1: It's volleyball. And- yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, so you played sports?
1: I played volleyball. I was obsessed yeah. with volleyball. Yeah.
2: That's cool. Volleyball is really cool.
1: It's fun.
2: It's kind of, it's kind of a... Really, it's people are into it these days. It's funny how, like, online sports fandom becomes like you can see things that you like when we were younger, you just couldn't really have access to or see. You know, like, I'm into uh, I'll watch ping pong videos, I'm transfixed by like really good ping pong. It's beautiful.
1: I also love ping pong
2: table tennis. Sorry, I probably should. I think they frown upon ping pong, maybe. I don't know. I, well, maybe if you're
1: not a professional, you can say ping pong because table tennis is
2: like the pro stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: But isn't it amazing to watch? Like when people are really good at it. I feel yeah. like volleyball is that way too. It is such an art yeah. to it,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and aesthetically, it looks amazing. Like the court. I've done paintings of volleyball courts, so um, oh. just the, the the colors and the the way the court's mapped out. is kind of a beautiful mm-hmm. sport.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But you probably got. Pretty strong work ethic, playing volleyball. I think sports is good in the sense that, just kind of like the ritualistic aspect of like you know putting them into practice.
1: I hadn't thought about that actually. I only think about sports in relation to like hand-eye coordination or trusting your body or reflex or a way of um of moving in a way that you trust. I guess right. but yeah, I suppose the the practicing and the performance, yeah, that's something that as I've gotten older i've 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 become less interested in yeah, performance aspects of art making right um, public performance or however that might be. I'd much prefer like a one on one or small group situation than, then, my God, when I was younger, I would do. I would do really outgoing things in front of but a lot of people <laughs> that <laughs> is very surprising to me as an adult. Uh,
2: so. That's so funny. Cause I feel like I, I feel like the opposite sensibility in myself. Like when I was younger, mm-hmm. I was really hermetic and kind of quiet and shy mm-hmm. and then having a kid and like going to school and meeting other parents and like trying to be social. So you try to do that so your kid doesn't Mm -hmm. grow up in a bubble. And Mm -hmm. that led me to be much more outgoing. But I I understand the sentiment. I mean, there is half of me that just wants to like be away from people at all times. And like COVID was, you know, there was something like, you know, I don't know, being by myself or with the family, you know, being shut in. We kind of get used to that with going into the studio. And as you get Mm -hmm. older, you really value that time in the studio, I think more, at least I do. Because you, you know, it's that quiet time. Like your life gets so busy and there's so much like stuff that when you can go into the mm-hmm. studio and just close the doors, it's really nice.
1: Mm-hmm. I've probably had the opposite experience because I, I felt like my life um was really, really, really busy. And now it's just gotten to where I can just go in the studio and close the doors all the time. So it feels more like <laughs> Well, that's probably why I've become less interested in performance, just because I have to do it less. Right. So then, when I do, even like, yeah, you know, I don't know, going out, going somewhere, like when COVID happened, of course, all of the anxiety was was it was one thing, but um, the isolation that was like great. Now I'm, I could just work. Right. Um, so.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think artists were in this special zone there, yeah. to where. So often we find ourselves pining for that time in the studio because things get busy or you're working or you're doing whatever you have to do, that you really value that alone time of being able to like, not, not the other noise of all the other crap you got to do in your life. You know what I mean? And COVID yeah. was kind of like, well, you're not doing anything, but mm-hmm. like cleaning groceries from the grocery store when they're delivered and making your yeah. apartment or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you yeah. got real comfortable with being by yourself.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, so when you were in high school, where was art becoming more, or were you still doing those drawings behind closed doors sort of thing? Like, when did you find, you know, drawing or painting in, the, in a more, in a way that led you to where, you know,
0: now that's all you're doing?
1: No, in high school, um, I was just playing sports and hanging out with my friends. Uh, there was no. I still had to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up, and I always said I wanted to be an artist, but um, but that wasn't that wasn't encouraged because like there were no role models. There was nobody who was, you know, you say you want to be an artist, and they're like, "Well, you can be a teacher." I don't know what you mean. You want to be an artist? <laughs> so uh, so then I got to. I went to school. I went to liberal arts school and studied a bunch of different things always wanting to be an artist but um so I took I took some printmaking classes and uh and the professor was the person who encouraged me like saw something in me and and even though printmaking wasn't necessarily the thing I was gravitating towards which is funny because now I'm like back making prints, and I really feel invigorated by the whole process of printing. Uh, but at the time, I it, it was the freedom that I felt um, taking his classes, and and it was it was technical, uh, and it was interesting to see the way you know putting your ideas through different. Um, I guess like pressure valves or uh, situation materials, functions like could produce images that were really surprising. Uh, And then that encouraged me to draw um, on the weekends, at night, um, just on my own in college. And Mm -hmm. I would put brown paper bags or tar paper on the wall and then I would just draw on it and you know, not having any money, I felt like no one can tell me I can't do this. It doesn't cost anything. It's just my energy, and I have—I right. can do whatever I want with my energy and my time. Um, you know, if I work, I go to school. Then there's all of this extra time still, and that's fine to decide what to do with. So that was something I did um, during school, and then after school, I moved to Georgia, to Athens, Georgia, and played a little music there and made some
2: oh, really? ceramics and like, wait, 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 yeah. wait, let's rewind. Did you go there for, <laughs> wait, so you went, it's Drake university <clears throat> is where you undergrad, right? Yep. In yep. Des Moines in, in lovely Des Moines, Iowa. Iowa. Yeah. Um, it's been a long time since I've been there. Uh, what, so what, how to Athens, what, cause well, you went to mass art for
0: grad school, right?
1: Yeah, I did. Um, I went to London. I, I did a study abroad in London my junior year of undergrad, and when I was in London, I made a friend from Georgia, and she was so nice and so warm and so generous. And <clears throat> I just saw her a couple of weeks ago, actually. Um, and I thought, well, I'd always been curious about the South, and I hate overcast days, so <laughs> I, I I just decided to move there right after school. And, nice. and just kind of get away from everything else in the Midwest and um, see what I wanted to do.
2: What what's I, this about music?
1: Well, I mean, you go to Athens, Georgia. It's like you can't not. Someone's like, we need a bass player. <laughs> I don't know. It just seemed like we need someone you can you can play, you can shake a tambourine, or you could. There was always all of my friends were musicians. And so I wasn't musically inclined at all, but uh, there were opportunities to say, like, go on a little tour and learn some songs on guitar. Um, I was in a Raincoats cover band for a little while, but it. Oh, was, wow. we never played out. We just, we would just play the music together, learn the fun. songs. And it was really fun. It was collaborating in that way with other people was surprising. Um, and then I would collaborate with people I didn't know that well and felt like I knew them better just through being on stage. Uh, there were times when we toured, we like played in New York, not the Raincoats Cover Band, but this other band. And I remember being on stage and playing with other people and it being so exhilarating yeah. uh, and feeling like, God, people have no idea, I have no idea what I'm doing. And
2: you know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing like it, right? Playing music on stage, <clears throat>
1: yeah.
2: That that sort of buzz you get from it—it's mm-hmm. so different than making art. I think,
1: yeah.
2: You know, um, yeah. that Athens sounds like my kind of town. Like you're just walking down the street and you're like, you know what? You yeah, you're not in a bit. We need you. Just come. <laughs> You'll figure it out. It's just a baseline. You could come play. It's pretty really great. What was the band that you toured with?
1: Um. So these two bands, uh new sound of numbers and circulatory system they they went on tour together in like, I guess this was right after I got out of um, maybe this was right after I got out of grad school. I reconnected with them, and i I didn't know what I was going to do, and they're like, you know, we just we're going on this little tour of the East Coast and you can come back to us I think that's what I did. Came back to Athens and learned some songs, and then and then went on tour with them. Seems sure, much. I don't remember. <laughs> you
2: playing in like Middle East, like places like that, or
1: yeah, yeah. I think we played at the Middle East. We played at the Cake Shop in New York and Union Union, Union Hall pool? Union, Union Pool
2: Union Pool Oh Union Hall Not Got Pool
1: it. Yeah Union Hall
2: Um Cake Shop <laughs> I haven't been there in a while. That's a I think cool place. Oh, Isn't
1: probably. It close?
2: I don't know. I, I honestly, yeah. it's so embarrassing how I don't go out anymore. Like I literally, That's I I'll go to a part of the city, and I'll be like, oh my god, it's totally different. It's mm. how long it is between going places. You know, it's kind of yeah. sad.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. also, my friend's band, the instruments. My friend Heather McIntosh. We played with her band too. And there was a place in Williamsburg. It was a record shop, and then behind it, there was like a performance. Coffee shop, rough trade. I don't. Maybe I don't remember. I don't remember, but it's not. I don't think
2: it's there anymore. Yeah, rough trade's gone. If it's rough trade, <clears throat> right down by Bushwick in the park, there was a mm. record store called Rough Trade. It was a big yeah. record store, and there was a little coffee area, and then there was like a proper gig, like stage,
0: mm-hmm. place
2: behind it. Mm-hmm. That might have been yeah.
1: it. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So you're playing. You were a lot of playing. Um, Sounds like it could it be was- math rock or something, or like indie rock.
1: It's indie rock. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. Nice. Records. I
1: didn't
0: write any of the music. I just played. Yeah. It's yeah. okay. You still still. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um so you played music down there and then yeah. obviously you first you went back to school and you went north. You I guess you couldn't stay away <laughs> from that beautiful northeast weather.
1: Yeah. That's what it was. Like, um, I need to get and, back
2: to some gray and some freezing cold winters,
0: and boy, Boston can be brutal.
1: Yeah, it was. I mean, what was brutal was, like, the snow and how people would, like, shovel out their parking spot, and then they'd put their chair in the parking spot. Like, <laughs> I thought this was public property. I don't know what you think you're doing. Um <laughs> Yeah. I didn't have a car, so I wasn't like that irritated by it. But I just thought, like, this is a funny, this whole procedure. Um, Right. um, Yeah, I went to school at MassArt. uh, And I wasn't wasn't keeping up with art while I was in Georgia, really. I I was making art um, infrequently. But I wasn't keeping up with contemporary art at all. And so when I went to grad school, it was really to learn more about art and uh, and practice it and see if and develop a discipline. Like that was yeah. the big thing that I got from it.
2: Did you enjoy the mass art experience?
1: Yeah, I mean the, the people that I met there, I'm still close with and keep in touch with, and uh, I made really good friends living in Boston that I still and keep in touch with too so I mean I would say I don't know I can't really I mean I could, the, we had it such a small group and so we were able to the year my painting group was was quite small it was just five people and so each semester we ended up designing a class we wanted to to take and then they said okay well will find a professor for you to teach. And so, like, it was a really awesome experience. We got to design um critique classes, a, like philosophy theory class, uh different writing classes. And I either it was because we were just, we knew what we wanted or we were small enough to, to organize.
0: Either way, that's pretty
2: cool. I mean, you're yeah. writing a curriculum in a way.
1: Yeah. It's like, we need yeah, to know exactly.
2: this. We want... I mean, we, you know, where I teach our students will sometimes say like, you know, we'd really love a class on professional development or we'd really love a class on, you know, whatever it is. And then, you know, we can do special topics courses, but sometimes those take a little while to get thrown into the system. But Mm -hmm. it's pretty great that you were able to do that. Yeah. Um, And did after you were done, I mean, did your work really shift during that time?
1: Oh, did it? it, Yeah, it did. I mean, I, so I had gone in working on brown paper bags. So I was, I wanted, I wanted the content of my work to, um, the shape of my work to like reflect the content of my work. Like it, I, there was never a hard edge in anything I was doing. It was all preform and, uh, you know, on the wall at different, or hanging, you know, hanging from the ceiling or coming from the floor. Um, yeah, everything had to be installed, or that was the direction that I was going. Uh, and I started working on tar paper in grad school, uh, materials that were, you know, cheap and readily available, and already had history with them, already had a ground. And in grad school, I never, I didn't make one painting on canvas. Or I mean, I think a discipline called sure and printmaking, uh, but it really that time was really about developing a discipline and a love for my process and yeah. my curiosity. And uh, it took it took like another ten years, so I think, of working that way before I actually started to paint in a rectangle on canvas.
2: Well, if, if I'm not mistaken, you took wasn't it ten years after you were in grad school that you went to Skowhegan, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So,
2: is did that shift anything, or was the shift pre Skowhegan?
1: So, I moved to New York right after grad school because I got a job doing construction at the Guggenheim, and oh wow! And from there, I started working doing art handling at Guggenheim and MoMA, mostly uh, for ten years. And during that time, I got to work with incredible artists as co-workers and then also help you know install artist shows and handle work and hang work and that was i mean i think some of my fondest memories in new york are working it's those jobs that gave me an education beyond grad school Mm -hmm. Uh, so i installed Sigmar polka show at moma that was one of the last shows I think I worked on when I worked there.
2: That was a big and, show um, that blew yeah. a lot of people's minds,
1: yeah, it blew my mind i yeah, I was amazing. I, I was looking at everything, thinking thinking about uh constraints and it was always important to me to have ultimate freedom and suddenly, I was like, Wait a minute. <laughs> <sighs> Maybe I need to have one thing that doesn't change, and maybe maybe just one thing could be a rectangle, uh, it, it, because I was seeing in his work uh, so much freedom, and seeing how seeing you know mostly everything was with, within a rectangle. I know it's the most obvious, simplest thing, but I it took me such a long time to get to that point, point. Uh, and then I went I went on you know. Left New York for a couple of years, did some residencies, and during that time, made my first painting just as a, a an experiment, and it ended up being the thing that I <laughs> I guess it's so obvious, but yeah, that's now I can't imagine really not. I mean, I still do collage and make some sculpture, but I don't even think about the rectangle as this position anymore.
0: Yeah, it's it's
2: funny how sometimes if you're if your MO is basically you want to explode the conventional wisdom of your brain of making work, then yeah. you explode everything out. But then you can sometimes realize that well, if you have that one constant or if you have a jump-off point, it can somehow enable you to explore even further in a way. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. a, it's kind of like you know, someone who thinks I want to push the boundaries of music, they get in a room no song structure, just like making sounds and noises. And they are doing that forever. And then eventually they're like, wait a minute, let's, why don't we take the structure of a song and then push against that? Because there's something mm-hmm. different whenever those noises happen. You know, it's like, if you think of free jazz and then like the stuff that came after, you know, it was like elements of exploration within a song structure. And it's, it's a different, you have a different sensibility. You look at exploration within the rectangle completely differently than you do just like, you know, a Sarah a sculpture or something where it's just like everywhere mm-hmm. all at once, you know?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So I think it it's sometimes you, it feels awkward or it feels uh, not intuitive to come back to, a, you know, a standard to start from, but then that can really help you like branch out in a different way.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, I just, students listen to your professors. Like they're always saying, you know, do this thing. It's just try this thing. And of course, like they never do. The students never do. I mean, right. I'm not a teacher, so I don't, I, you know, I just remember when I was in school, they would tell me, you know, you should really try this. And I never would. I would I'd be like, I'm not doing what you say. <laughs> right. Yeah. <I'm> right. <laughs> that's not, not, not how art you. gets made. <laughs> I
2: didn't come here to listen to someone tell me what to do. wait.
1: I know it's silly, but but no, it's it's true. I recently, or I guess during the pandemic, started this series of small works, all on the same scale, all from the same idea starting point. Mm-hmm. And it was to I started them as sketches, as color studies as way of of like keeping all of these variables relatively constant and then seeing what could happen if i made decisions twice as fast as i normally do Yeah. and prioritize color and color relationships and to see what see what came out of it and i i, I wouldn't have ever i wouldn't have ever done something like this um at any other time but i guess yeah you got
2: to be ready for it you know yeah but a lot of those cliche things that people make fun of or are- professors of like you know do a hundred of them or make it big or make it small I mean but sometimes you learn something in that process you know it's like Mm -hmm. if you you know on the 20th version of a nine by nine inch drawing you you something happens like something different happens than the first time Mm -hmm. you do it and a lot of times those cliches are there for but I think as a a teacher that you understand that there's going to be a lot of stuff that you say or that you try to connect with people um, in their studios that, you know, it's probably going to come out later or it'll be addressed later. It's like planting seeds. And I know that because a lot of the stuff that my professors told me that at the time I was just like, "What?" you know, and then like 15 years later, you're like, Oh wait, like that makes sense.
1: (laughs) You know? So you try
2: to just do the same, you know? Yeah.
1: Those things actually do come out later it's yeah it's really surprising uh a shortcut, you can shortcut yeah right
2: i don't think you could shortcut you yeah. have to get there the way you get there mm-hmm. but it's good to have it in your mind for whenever you it's like when you see the sign you know you're like oh okay like you are familiar because someone's mentioned it to you before or something so it's not quite so like you can actually pick up on it or something. I don't know. I, I feel like that's what happened to me when I was in school. It was a whirlwind. It was all kind of like blurry. And then like everything got blown up. And then, you know, years and years after getting out of school, it just starts to slowly like come back mm-hmm. into focus, you know. Mm-hmm. Scott Hegan was great though. Although I went right after school. So it was, you know, I I backloaded everything into like one giant chunk of school and stuff. So yeah. So did you
1: go straight from undergrad to grad to Skowhegan? Yeah. Or,
2: okay. Yeah. It was a deep dive. I was in, it, oh. the one thing that was good is by the time I was out of Skowhegan, I was like, all right, that's, I'm done. Like no more school. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. it was like, I, I spent year literally years of my life in my bunker, not really talking to any, you know, basically oh, yeah. other than some close friends and stuff, just like working because I, I had so much, you know, um, Input and people in my head and my studio for years and years and years. I mean, Skowhegan was great because after grad school, grad school was really like stringent and tense, you know. And then like going from that to Skowhegan, where they're like, yeah, man, we're all just here working together, you know. And everyone from like John Waters to like Holly Applebaum, just amazing, Suzanne McClellan, like really cool people who are just like, yeah, man, we're all just working. So it was the exact oh. opposite of grad school, which was very refreshing. You know, because it's like, oh, okay, there can be this environment to support each other mm-hmm. as artists, not just, you know, pulling the rug out from under you and and harsh critiques or whatever. So, yeah, but but going, I would imagine taking that time off was really, it was probably amazing to go to Skowhegan after that time because, you know,
0: it's like art camp.
1: Yeah, well, i I remember when I was an undergrad in, like, In 1999, my printmaking professor showed me a brochure for Skowhegan, and I remember looking at it thinking like, yeah, I didn't, not in this world at all. Like this is, this is, I have no idea the steps it would take between where I am now to get, to be able to do something like that. You know, it was expensive. It was like, it just was so far from, but but it was something I always wanted to do. And so I, I would apply every couple of years. Yeah. Um, I just kept applying, but it didn't, uh, it just didn't work out until 2016. And that's like a pretty long gap to want to do something. And then to be able to do it, it's like, it just always makes me feel, it, feel, it makes me feel like a late bloomer. But I think probably a lot of people would call themselves a late bloomer because there's just this impatience of, 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 of. Once you figure out what you want, you feel like it, and it doesn't that manifest or it doesn't happen. Then uh, it just takes some time. It takes some time to sort of catch up to um i don't know i I don't know
2: for things to like sync up and yeah i know what you mean i i think too you know the thing that you can in retrospect like looking back that you can understand is like there is no right way to do it in in each era like like if you go to something like oh, you can write after school there's going to be a certain value to that and you're going to miss out something on that and Mm -hmm the same thing if you took like 20 years and you went back like there'd be certain things you miss out but then you would really appreciate that time and that space and those voices you know what i mean because you've been Mm -hmm. out for a while so i think it's it's a yin yang like you know it all evens out in a way
1: you know yeah yeah no i don't believe in like fate or like the universe will (laughs) respond to you in when you need it it'll come and all that. I'm like, uh, I'm, I am like i i I'm more, I'm more thinking everything is <clears throat> relatively random and I'm just appreciating when things actually line up in a way that isn't totally harmful and uh, I could get something or we could all get something interesting from it.
2: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. No, I agree with that completely. Um, so what, I mean, was, was the, the faculty, I, I don't think they call them faculty, but were the people mm. at Skowhegan when you were there, did you did you click with anyone? Was it a good yeah, experience?
1: They, yeah, it was great. It was, I mean, my friend group in New York are the people that I met at Skowhegan. Right? Yeah. I feel like
2: more than grad school for me, I know more people, like that community from Skowhegan is more still kind of doing it. Sadly, mm-hmm. I was there the year that you were talking about, which makes me feel a little bit old. <laughs>
0: Wait, no, you were...
2: I was there in 99. Oh, in 99. So you were talking about 99. Oh, really? You saw the brochure. Yeah.
0: yeah. But you I feel like that was it.
2: that was 99. a really good year. Like Tom Friedman. We ta- I talked to Tom oh, Friedman about electronic music and stuff. It was just like amazing. It was a really cool. And like, there was great participants that I'm still friends with. So, it's, I mean, I'm sure everyone thinks their year is the best year, but I really enjoyed it. Like, I thought it was a great experience. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You said John Waters was there?
2: Yeah. He was the visit. Well, he was one of the visiting people. Wow. Yeah. It was pretty great. How so Byron Kim, who was like, yeah. I was pretty tight with, I mean,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, it
2: was a great, it was a great experience. I mean, it's kind of a blur, right? Yeah. Like 24 <clears> years <throat> ago or something, but I, it, it lives fondly in my abstract memories of it, mm-hmm. but I did get a lot of work done. I mean, it was out in one of those, those studios that was way out there past the cow mm-hmm. pasture Mm-hmm. And like after like the evening, no, the other two people wouldn't be there late. So I was just out there by myself. And that was the summer Blair Witch came out and I went and watched that with some people and it was a bad idea.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. No. Oh, Imagine, because no. you know how it is out there? Like the woods are just like, <laughs> they
2: seem endless. And my studio door opened to the woods. And I came, I remember coming back from that movie and going to my studio and I went in and I was listening to a lot of boards of Canada at that time, which is very sort of otherworldly and kind <laughs> of like, you know, and being completely freaked out by that movie and scared of being out there.
1: Do you kind of love that feeling too, though?
2: Yeah, Yeah, no, it's great.
1: It, it doesn't
2: feel, it feels different. Like it's not boring. Let's put it that way. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: Yeah, it was pretty good. Cool. Yeah, no. Yeah. <clears throat>
1: sometimes I listen to this, um, this podcast called the Sasquatch Chronicles. Oh, I've never Which, heard of it. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, this friend that I worked with uh, told me about it. And I was like, yeah, whatever. I'm not listening to some Sasquatch podcast. And then I, I heard the intro. And it's like, it's like, it's setting you up as if you're going into some sort of like thematic rave or it, it, the intro is seems like five minutes long it's just all of these different like the highlights from the craziest episodes and there are probably 800 episodes
0: whoa that's a lot of Sasquatch
1: of people <laughs> who have said they've seen or encountered Sasquatch and I listened to it and I'm still like I don't believe in Sasquatch yet I'm scared as I'm as, I i can not even listen to them anymore because I'm afraid it's going to ruin me for when I want to go camping and yeah at the same time, I don't believe in ask i how is this working?
2: you know, yeah, I mean that's we're <laughs> aren't we we're people who like imagine worlds like we can we can know it's not necessarily, or we can feel it's not real but still be feel you know what I mean, like the reality
1: yeah. of
0: it or not, you can still be affected by it,
1: yeah uh, yeah i A couple of years ago, I was in the Netherlands and I went on this roller coaster ride, and I hadn't gone on a roller coaster ride in probably ten or fifteen years, and it was it was pretty scary. You know, I knew it was fine, but I think my body did not. My body was like, "Oh, you're dying." Uh, yeah. And you, you're, you're flying up and down, you're being dropped, you're being pushed side to side. And then, of course, the person who was in charge of controlling the device was like, there's no one else here. Let's keep it going. Let's keep it <laughs> going. And we're all like laughing and crying. And I got off and I, I was like, actually terrified, but I was still laughing. Uh, I was smiling. It was like this terror. <laughs> yeah, it's the and endorphins. the next day I woke up. Yeah, yeah. The next day I woke up and my eye was completely red. Oh man. And as the day progressed, um, I started losing vision Whoa! in in my eye. And
2: were you freaked out?
1: I was pretty freaked out.
2: And yeah. I, that and would, then, we don't want that yeah. to go. You know what I no. mean? That's
1: yeah. Uh, but I ended up ha- having to put steroids in my eye like it, and my vision came back, but it was this, it was a struggle for a little while to oh my God. That's figure horrifying. out how to do it. But, but I bring that up because it was this experience of, yeah, the, but like my body is telling me one thing, but my mind is telling me another and I can, right. do, you're not going to die on this ride, but my body hadn't experienced that kind of terror. That's kind of physical terror. And so it was bringing me through the feelings of um, like my nerves were overriding. Um, what i could tell myself was actually happening which is yeah was kind of powerful too that it would manifest though and me going blind was, it was like a little bit too far but
2: yeah well i mean were yeah. you screaming so loud you like burst blood vessels in your eye <laughs> I, think. I
1: wasn't no i wasn't screaming at all i was i was laughing <laughs> that was the <laughs> other thing i was laughing so to everybody on the outside it, it looked like
2: i was loving it oh you're having a blast but you were like yeah. it was just like laughter of like disbelief and other mm-hmm. shock and fear
1: mm-hmm.
2: yeah yeah well they're much more roller coasters nowadays are a little more they're engineered a little more uh, aggressively and i because i always talk about how when i was younger i loved going on roller coasters but mm-hmm. i imagine if i went today on one of these new ones that are just insane you mm-hmm. know that i'd probably be a little right yeah do you try yeah. to uh do you ever try to make a painting where you get that fear that, <laughs> that <kind laughs> of endorphin rush like or try to channel that in some way i mean well, some of your paintings are they feel i mean it's a painting they they feel pretty intense
1: yeah i think i think that happens for an, a couple reasons and like this last body of work that i made um that I was working on that ended up being in the show, Sensory um, Homunculus, that show that, op- that was opened in January. Uh, so half of those paintings were made from, yeah, this persistent somatic feeling that I was, that I was just, I just kept going back to. And it was a weird, i usually don't work that way a a couple like i the the piano player the um biggest painting in the show called blood's bluff i actually told myself i was going to make a piano player painting and i never i mean it's very rare that i that i do that but i always want to see if if my assumptions are still true like could i make a bad painting from an idea of a painting (laughs) this is just one try but because usually I like to discover you know what work work sort of backwards I guess so uh, yeah a lot of that work was, was was started from trying to get at like these these nagging feelings and and a lot of those nagging feelings were like started from this really intense residency I had at Headlands this past summer, which is on the coast of California, just north of San Francisco. It's really gorgeous, as you know, I'm sure you've been, uh, place uh, that, and there were a tremendous group of people there, and it, it really, uh, like, kind of ruined me <laughs> to come back <laughs> to New York. Yeah. Um, so yeah the paintings the paintings they feel like they all get made d- differently or they they kind of get get carried away uh but the feeling you to come back to your original question like I think sometimes they can appear um to have that kind of overwhelm or that pitch of nearly being overwhelming is because. I double down on choices that I made in the beginning, and then that ends up really like, um, like I want to like stabbing at the thing that I'm um, I'm trying to feel. It's like okay, I didn't quite describe it right. Let me just go right next to it and try to describe it again. It's like that isn't quite it either, and so I keep trying to describe it in a way that ends up making it look um, like a vibration or something that. breaking its form or existing beyond the constraints or the container that even an idea could be yeah
2: and not i just i can't help in my mind think a little bit of like cubism or like futurism too of this kind of like showing something progressing or like you know moving over time in a short span of time and short amount of space but like that reverberation which i love because some of your titles have like odes to music like there's you know talking about i think like synth is in the title you know like there feels like now that in hearing of your music and like that you play music and you're what you like to listen to it i like that idea of too like the sonic reverberation of the exploration of the image you know mm-hmm. um yeah. the other thing i was going to ask you was like a totally side note but you had mentioned the residency is like and you were talking about really valuing your quiet alone time you know and and you didn't i mean you're still in brooklyn
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> you mm-hmm. didn't
2: you didn't take the bait like so many people have have you know gone to nature especially after covid you know and the, this sort of decentralization of the art world in a way where you can like you know 20 years ago it was like well you you got to at least go to the city to start yourself You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. To like make your connections or get a gallery or do that. And then you can, you know, I remember when I was at Skowhegan. Tom Freeman lived in Massachusetts, like in the middle of nowhere, I think. Like he didn't Mm -hmm. live in a city or something. And we're like, whoa, that's crazy. You can, you know, you don't have to live in the city. But I would imagine you, it seems like you would love to have like the upstate house or somewhere bucolic and quiet and you're making these paintings there. But you're just here in Brooklyn like the rest of us.
1: I am just that's what I would like to do. I just uh am waiting to do that. I feel like it's it's not right now. And I I that that will happen. I'm sure it will say, happen.
2: So I've, it's something you're you're it's yeah. a possibility.
1: <clears throat> yeah, I've I've not I never in my life had this like i gotta get to new york city um yet here you, to
0: hear
1: you go, are <laughs> 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 but it's, it's hard when all your friends are here and uh, and things kind of things feel the house you know feel they have momentum and
2: yeah
1: it's exciting uh,
2: but you're also but, showing in la so do you have mm-hmm. roots or do you have connect like how do you like what's your relationship to los angeles that's a nice place to
1: visit. That's yeah. how I define it. Nice <laughs> Lovely. I not live there, uh, but
2: it's a nice
0: place to yeah. visit. Yeah. Um, if you just say carte blanche,
2: unaffected, like your, whatever you're doing and making art stays the same, you can move anywhere. Where do you think you would love to move? Like, where's the dream spot? Um, sorry i'm giving you a lot i'm giving you a hard time i don't even know you and i'm like really I feel like a lot of these i'm just so bad i don't know I i really like your work i think you're great i'm sorry thanks. i don't mean to ask you these annoying difficult questions
1: no i i was thinking of how i would answer that i was like italy canada i don't
2: know valid I, both I was, all right, let's say you have a timeshare. You have five cities or five places.
1: <laughs> Where um, are
2: these places? Venice, yeah. Toronto, upstate New York, Cuba.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I would yeah, I would love to live um somewhere in the woods. Probably somewhere not too far from New York City. So that could be really anywhere but it can't be so it could be a little town it doesn't have to be in the woods because i know what's in the woods or at least i think i know what's out there in the woods right
2: right yeah we, we all know what's out
1: there it's, <laughs> it's sasquatch
2: i know what you're afraid <laughs> of. just go to a warmer wooded yep. climate although yep. they're probably yep. there too people probably see sasquatch in like georgia
1: hey look you got to listen to the podcast you you'd be surprised uh so i think it would be yeah i think it would be somewhere within four hours of New York City. But that said, like I, I don't, I know. I'm always surprised by the choices that, you know, when you look back, you think like, how did I end up making that choice to get where I am now? And so circumstances to me are more important than uh, just kind of like, identifying a dream and then like chasing down that dream. Like I would rather have a community in Texas than be alone in um, Venice.
2: Right. No, no, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. And then I would imagine, as you said, like, you know, being here in the city, the one great thing is you can find the people that, you know, you, you can have that community and even if you're busy and you're not seeing people all the time, you just know they're around you, which is kind of a nice feeling.
1: Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, sorry Texas. Texas is probably fine. <laughs> I just I've just traveled through Texas, and I'm I was thinking of like the desolate, I don't know, desolate areas of Texas that are kind of scary.
2: Oh, no, I. I know I'm sure Texas <laughs> is great. People love it. Don't worry, Texas is doing fine. They're like doing okay, yeah. it right now. People are moving there from all over. When our band was on tour, we did that drive from the, like Arizona, like New Mexico down through, and we mm-hmm. were going to play in Georgia. Mm-hmm. and um and we, we were by the border, I guess at some point. We got stopped by like there was like a border patrol people and they searched the van and stuff. It was traumatic. like I was really scared. Ooh. Like dogs sniffing through the van, and
0: Ooh.
2: I was like, "Is something going to happen here?"
1: Yeah, you, you, you feel like a criminal, and you,
2: yeah, that like maybe
1: my, I am a criminal. I don't know.
2: Yeah, and, well, I was with other people, and we had another band yeah. with us. So I was like, "Who knows what they have in here?" <laughs>
0: yeah,
2: yeah, we made it through. Um, <laughs> yeah, but okay. yeah, it was almost made me a little skittish on Texas. Um, yeah. So, uh, well, what do you? Are you so you just had the show, you know, in LA? Mm-hmm. Are you is there anything else that you have coming up, or or like what's how can people, you know, check out what you're doing and stay abreast of like all the
0: stuff that you're making?
1: Um, well, everyone can come to my studio. No, um,
0: there you go, studio <laughs> visit
2: BOS Brooklyn Open Studios. <laughs> um,
1: no, I, I. I'm working on, I did a print project with 10 um, Grand Press uh, and Avent Art, they, they funded it. And it's, I'm working on that now, as well as a book of nice. a series of paintings that hopefully will come out in the fall. Uh, and then I'm working on uh, big paintings for the armory in the fall. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, and there's always these other little things that I never remember. Uh, like, oh, yeah, yeah I, I didn't even mention this or that, but it's, you know, generally, it, there's a bunch of different things in sort of finishing up um, or working on. I like to work on multiple things at once. Yeah, uh, Not put all my attention on <clears throat> the most pressing deadline and still go back to things that have no deadline. And I feel like working that way frees
2: me up and makes things less
1: precious
2: and yeah. Keeps it loose. Sounds good. Well, yeah. um, it was great meeting you Um, again. I'm sorry. I gave you a hard time today.
1: You, you really <laughs> didn't though. I, I, when did you give me a hard time?
2: I don't know. I usually don't jump in with those, The <laughs> you know, I went into the deep end of the pool at first and like, it was cool though. I was talking to a friend about your work, you know what I mean? It's fun to talk to s- about, Someone's work to other people and guess things or like your imagination yeah. goes. But what I love about doing this and being able to talk to people is just hearing people's stories and like what where their mind is and what they're like in relation to the work. You know, it's kind of a fun thing.
1: Yeah, that's probably what keeps you doing
2: it. Yeah, right? exactly. Like yeah, if it was all the curious. same, it'd be boring.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. What, so yeah, what many is people who are like everyone's just different. It's great, you know. It's <laughs> really cool. Yeah.
1: What's the surprising, what's always the thing that surprises
2: you about doing uh, these? Uh, well, it, I think it's that, it's not that there's like this, these moment. I mean, every once in a while, you, it's just, you talk to someone who's like totally different, but, mm-hmm. or, or just like, whoa, we're, you know, that's, that's a different energy or whatever. But I feel like it's kind of comforting knowing that everyone kind of like artists have this path pretty much that, you know, it's like. Like, I'll give you an example. When you mentioned that one parent-making professor, I believe who mm-hmm. sort of, you know, champion. I feel like we all kind of need that one person who just says, yeah. gives you see the feeling like what you're doing is valuable or like that's, you're good at this yeah. or this is cool, you should do that. And it's fascinating you know? that it just takes that one green light, you know what I mean? To sort of set you on your way and devote your entire life to something, which is pretty cool, you know? But yeah. I, I just, I like the the subtle differences of you know it's the for me it's the little things like the fact that you mentioned uh headhunters and I was listening to that this morning you know what I mean that's kind of blew my mind so <laughs> and I'm really honestly I'm I hopefully it doesn't you're not like us bullshit but it doesn't matter. I'm really excited for you to listen to Black Moth Super Rainbow because I Oh cool. But just to get your reaction, even if you're like, yeah, yeah it's not that's not it but <laughs> because it in my mind i have this thing it's a bad thing where when i see artwork i hear music i hear certain music so oh. you know what i mean i get like yeah. like that whatever's behind you it it made me think of um like i was thinking of vivaldi for some reason
1: oh like, yeah
2: so you know i yeah. it happens to me i can't help it i hear music when i see
1: mm-hmm. certain
2: artwork so But that's, now I'm really excited for, I I was excited to hear that stuff. That's the kind of stuff that I, that's why I do it, you know?
1: Oh, is it like a synesthetic experience? You know, like where people see a letter, they automatically think of a color or that the senses kind of get.
2: I don't know. I I don't know. I don't know how to define it. I just know that when I look at art or visual, not like colors, because when I talk to Heather Day, she has synesthesia where she gets like it's very specific it's like a diagnosing where she's she's color and it it creates certain things i just have i don't know if it's just a tendency but when i see artwork i think of the music it sounds like something to me you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so i mean it's sometimes even quicker and more direct than others like if i see a kandinsky it's like going straight to a specific kind of like jazz or something you know oh
0: yeah yeah,
2: but I don't. I don't know if that's like just because I like music, and I I don't know why I do it, but I do it.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And then I end up asking people, and people are like, mm, I don't, I don't know. you know, it's like hard <laughs> to define. Like if people ask me, I don't know. I'd be like, and some one time someone did ask me, I forget who asked me, but on a podcast they were like, what What do you think your paintings sound like? And I was like, holy! I was like, yeah, I, uh, I couldn't explain it. I was like, mm-hmm. I'll get back to you. I have to think about that.
1: But you do put, uh, I assume it's your music on your animations?
2: No, I collaborate. No? Well, I oh, have really? I have done some. Historically, I've done like a couple that were my own um, okay. compositions. But I, I've i been involved with musicians for so long that like I, I have friends and I collaborate with people.
0: Which oh, I love. So you
1: don't, you don't, do you know what they're going to do when you make the animation? Or is it more like you work? individually
0: and then you it
2: both like sometimes okay. i'll make an animation and ask someone to score it and like i've done animations like like i did uh recent well during covid i did a video for pole side and i did a video for Nazca Lines, and i basically made the music to their um their song you know what i mean so it goes either way like i've, I've done it both ways
0: mm-hmm.
2: it's for me that's really fun that's like a way yeah to tap back into music without trying to be like you know an almost 50 year old like getting people together to start a band which feels like that <laughs> ship is back, sailed you
1: can still do it
2: oh i know i can but i don't know <laughs> if that's the thing you know what i mean like this is a way yeah. for me to like still be involved in the process but yeah um it fits a little better into my daily regimen mm-hmm. mm-hmm. but yeah it's it's that stuff is fun um well for people though Instagram is a great place, right, for them to see what you're up to. Yep. And then yep. Armory. You have the Armory. Mm-hmm. Oh, and your web you have a website?
1: Mm-hmm. we use those yep. still. And yeah, I think the yeah, I'll like the news will probably go through Instagram or my website as far as like when the book comes out or when the print comes out.
2: And your open studios that you're gonna let everyone come over. Oh yeah. On a and Tuesday. then just
1: like ongoing no it's just 24 7 oh studios. yeah it's, just, just come on by put my address <laughs>
2: so with like one wall is this glass window they can just watch you make the right. sausage
1: <laughs> yeah no i can't make it unless people are watching me
2: that's so. <laughs> that performative
1: element. <laughs> you can't get rid of
2: it well thanks so much yeah. it was great to talk
1: yeah you too
2: sound of vision is recorded edited and produced by myself brian alfred you can find out more about the podcast by going to soundvisionpodcast.com you can find images on instagram at sound vision podcast you can support the podcast by going online and getting the why i make art book the official book of the sound of vision podcast which is available wherever you get books many thanks to bridget for taking the time And many thanks to you for listening.